0: Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. A reading from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. I won't have to tell as many jokes today to keep your attention. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And this ends the cheery reading of God's holy word. Told you I wouldn't have to tell many jokes to keep your attention today. This is is a delicate subject matter, to say the least. Adultery, sexuality, lust. And we have been in a series where we look at sayings of Jesus that are counter-cultural. We look at sayings from Christ that pack a punch. We look at sayings from Jesus that uh, we don't like, we may disagree with, for sure, our culture disagrees with. And some of you already are freaking out. And that's to be understood. And that's, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. You might have noticed that Jesus says some very countercultural things in this passage. You may have noticed that he actually utters a word that we rarely hear in our culture today, hell. And did you hear how he linked it up with sexuality? And there's something in us that squirms, gets anxious, nervous. And we might think, great, here's a message about sex and hell and brimstone. Remember Helen Brimstone? (laughs) This one makes us nervous and anxious and uh, convicts us. These are words that we need to wrestle with today. What I want to help you see in this text is that God is not a killjoy. What I want to help you see in this text is that God has such a high view of sexuality, much higher than any of us, that he's trying to help us. He's trying to help us understand the right context, the right place for sexuality to occur. Now, parents, I know there's some young kids here. We will pray the Holy Spirit lets them doodle. and they'll be fine. Did you hear how Jesus began? You have heard that it was said. He begins by talking and reframing one of the 10 commandments. Do not commit adultery. He begins there because uh, that is one of the 10 commandments. And there's always discussion about how on earth do you apply these commandments? What does it mean? Do not lie. Like always, never, I can't ever bear false witness against my neighbor. What if, what if the Nazis come knocking on my door and I'm hiding Jews? What if there are situations that it seems that to deceive would be beneficial and helpful to protect innocent life for innocent people? And honestly, the Bible makes exceptions. Makes exceptions in all sorts of ways with the rule about thou shalt not kill. The Bible says that if somebody breaks in and they struggle against you, and in that struggle you kill them, you are not guilty. There's places to flee, there was old testament cities that you could run to. And you could flee there if you had killed somebody in that kind of a situation, and you would have been found innocent. Rahab was a prostitute and she was in the city of Jericho and there were spies who came and they came into her home and she hid them. And the authorities from the city of Jericho came to her house and they said, we followed the spies here. They're here. Aren't they? And she's like, Oh no, they're not here. she's actually in the genealogy of Jesus. She's actually held up for us as somebody who was a faithful person, but she lied. She deceived She was commended for it. The midwives in Egypt who, you know, they made up that story. Well, the Hebrew women are so strong that by the time we get there, the kid's already been born. Because Pharaoh said, kill the Hebrew baby boys during delivery. And it says that God honored them by giving them their own families. And they deceived See, the scriptures, it's beautiful because they're nuanced in their ethic. They're nuanced. It understands that if you just become super black and white, there's always a what if. Right? I mean, that's why we have lawyers. And that's really what all the discussions and the debates about these laws were in the New Testament period when Jesus was alive. It was all sorts of debates and discussions. Well, what does this mean? And how do we know? And what do we do? And what about this? But here's one where Jesus is staunchly black and white. Here's one that if you're looking for the loophole. You're not going to find it. Here's one where if you are trying to justify living differently than the biblical ethic. Then there's no other way to put it than it's sin. There's no loophole that says thou shalt not commit adultery unless you love them. There's no loophole that says, Thou shalt not commit adultery unless your husband's a loser. Thou shalt not commit adultery unless your wife is frigid. There is no loophole given. Now, why would God be so stern? Why would this be so black and white and others? There's some there's some wiggle room. I mean, even divorce, there's some wiggle room. But why on this? Why no wiggle room? And by the way, when we talk about adultery, I mean, clearly uh, the definition of adultery is that a spouse in a committed marriage relationship goes outside of that relationship for a sexual relationship. But included in that is the idea that there you can't have a sexual relationship outside of a covenant of marriage. And so if you're not married, you're not off the hook. You see, the Bible is saying that marriage is the covenant. Marriage is the relationship in which sex is legit. That is the place that God created sex for. Now why? Why is that so important? I mean, come on, Steve, you sound like a eh. I don't know what I sound like. An old fashioned curmudgeony. I mean, get with it, people, right? Get with it, preacher. Don't you know what it's like nowadays? Well, here's the deal. Who created sex? Just, you know, take a guess. God, you, you believe that, right? Because that was really clear that, God. Uh. <laughs> Who created sex? I mean, he could have made this work out in a whole different way, right? Right? I mean, he could have had like any other system. But this is the one he chose. And when he created it, do you remember what he said every single time after he created something in Genesis chapter 1? It is good. good. He didn't say, oh my, what was I thinking? (laughs) He said, it is good. When I was in Hebrew class, We read parts of the Bible that made us blush. And the reason you don't blush reading those parts in English is because they use words because the translators are wimps. They're wusses because they want to keep their job. They don't want evangelicals mad at them. That's not what the Bible says. You see, they wuss out because the words aren't hug and caress. They're different words. And we had smoke pouring out of our ears as we were sitting there reading these texts. And I was, I was trying to be holier than God. I was trying to clean it up and, oh, it's a hug, it's a caress. Because I was ashamed with what God had the nerve to put in the Bible. You see, it was his idea. He invented it. He created And he said, it is good. In fact, when he created Adam, I mean, when you look at Genesis chapter 2 and he creates Adam, and that's the account. It's the same story as what we get in Genesis 1. It's just told a little differently. And at that point, he puts Adam to sleep and he yanks a rib out the guy and he takes the rib and he builds a woman out of the rib. And then he wakes up Adam and wakes up Eve and says, hi there, kids. And Adam's first response is, Isha, which is Hebrew for woman, okay? (laughs) And he liked what he saw. He liked what he saw. And one thing led to another. And God was not surprised. God was not blushing. God's a big boy. Now, he created some parameters around it. And it makes sense he would create these parameters. I have a car I don't like my car doesn't like me. I guess it's a mutual relationship. <laughs> and when I get in my car, it starts. And then it starts to do other things. <laughs> and I have friends who are mechanics. And I ask them, what is the deal with my car? And they're like, you know what? You have a, a g- head gasket that is leaking and needs to be replaced. You're burning the antifreeze. Oh, that's what that noxious fumes are in my car that's causing me to pass out as I take my children to school. That's why I have to keep adding water to the radiator. That's why this is happening. Now, if I were to turn to the mechanic and say, you know, that may be true about you and your car. But that's not true of me and my car. You're just projecting some ancient notions about cars on me and my car. The mechanic would say, well, good luck with that. (laughs) Dummy. Fool. Moron. They'd have all sorts of, they'd have a fun chit-chat around the water cooler, wouldn't they? Man, that guy's an idiot. Came in, asked for my opinion, gave it to him, offered to fix it. No, it's not what's wrong. It's not true of me and my car. Now, why could that be diagnosed? Why would that be true about me and my car? It's because it has a designer. And the engine has a design. And when that design is broken, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be repaired. When the design goes south... Everybody knows, oh, this is what needs to be done. In fact, there were a couple guys on NPR that could diagnose your car problems with you describing it to them. Now, I don't know if they were always right. Now, how could they do that over the radio? Because they understood that the car was designed to function a certain way. And sexuality is the same thing, in that it has a designer. And it has a function, it has a purpose, it has a reason for being designed. Now throughout church history, priests who were celibate have wrestled with what the design was meant to be. Guess what celibate priests say about it? They say what you would think a celibate priest would say about it. Well, people who aren't that spiritual and that holy are the ones who have sex. And they should abstain as much as possible unless they want to make a baby. And clearly, celibate priests should be in charge of the church, right? And the Protestants came along and they're like, there might be something wrong with some of these teachings. And if anything, there's some corrections that need to be made. God said, what? It's good. It's a gift. And it's not just for making babies. Some of your parents are going to have some interesting discussions when you go home. (laughs) You see, God understood that it would bring us great pleasure. But he also understood that it was dangerous. That it was something that was meant to strengthen a relationship between one man and one woman. And that when we go outside of that relationship, that covenant, then we wear down it's strength to bring together one man and one woman. You see, when you are in that moment, you are telling your spouse, I belong to you. You are saying that all that is mine is yours. Paul says that the two become one flesh. That they actually create like this new person. In fact, our culture has started kind of mocking this, right? With uh, celebrities who pair up and then they create like a hybrid of their name, you know? It's like it's a new entity. That's what happens in the covenant relationship of sex. And every time we stray out of that covenant relationship, even before we have it established with somebody, we are wearing down and eroding sexuality's ability to draw us near to one person because your brain actually is wired up. Believe this or not, they've studied this. Your brain is wired up to just bond with one person. And so when you don't bond with just one person, you confuse your brain, literally. And your brain's like, who is this? What's going on? I thought we were bonded to that person. And you actually are wearing down your ability to bond with someone. And you see what our modern day society wants to do is we want to divorce our body from ourselves. We want to see our body as just this thing, this container. And we want to take our soul and our mind and our spirit and just go. Body can do these things. Soul, mind and spirit not impacted. Trouble is, we're back to my car I don't like. Because that's not how the designer made it. The designer made it so that your body, mind, soul, spirit are all integrated. You can't divorce them. Have you noticed that when you're sick, it affects your emotions? Have you noticed when you're sick, you're more irritable? Maybe this is new to some of you, and I'm helping you out. You're more irritable. I mean, even Snickers knows this, right? Even Snickers understands that there's a link between your sugar and that, you know, and you're just not yourself. There's a link to our bodies and our souls and our minds and our spirits. And you can't sever them. You can lie to yourself, but you can't sever them. It's there. It's designed. That's how you were made. That's how you were created. So Jesus comes along as celibate rabbi who happens to be the Son of God. And he tells us some things about this thing called sex. He says, you've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look lustfully at somebody. Oh, man. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Nothing like raising the bar. I mean, I was having trouble with the first fence. Right? Some of you are having troubles with the first fence. And now I can't look lustfully at folks. Now, what I want you to understand is. He's not saying you can't look at people. I mean, God created good looking people. It was his idea. He could have made us all super ugly. That could have happened, you know. Maybe we are in somebody's eye, right? But in our eye, there's some good looking folks around. That was God's idea. And in the Greek, it says, look at someone in order to lust. For the purpose of. I mean it's one thing to see a beautiful woman and go wow. She's a beautiful woman. It's another thing to go. And I'm going to keep looking at her. I'm going to lust after her. That's the purpose of looking. In that context. And we all know when we cross that line. It's not like Jesus has to explain it here. Did you notice how quickly he moved on? It's not like, so let me help you understand when you've crossed that line. He's like, you know. You know when you've crossed that line. You know when you've looked at somebody in order to lust. Jesus says, when you have done that, you have already committed adultery. He backs up the wagon clear back to there. When you look at them lustfully, you've already committed adultery. In your heart. Wow. What a standard. <laughs> and then he says really confusing, crazy, goofy things like. Gouge your eyeballs out and cut your hand off. Because it's better to go through life disfigured. All right. Like a peg leg piratey guy. Than to be tossed into hell. Trouble is. Blind people can lust especially one who had his sight at one point, cut your hand off. You can still use the other one. I mean, is Jesus saying become a bloody stump for me and everything will be okay. I mean, clearly this is hyperbole. And if you're not aware of that, let me coach you down off of your afternoon activities. And if the Broncos lose, we're all going to be there, right? It's like, to the Raiders? You know, man, causing me to sin, watching that nonsense. Jesus is using hyperbole. He's trying to help us understand that you need to take this seriously. Right? Right? That's what he's saying. Take this seriously. Take your sin seriously, because God does. And it's weird because Jesus, more than anybody else in the Bible, talks about hell. Sweet, meek, and mild. Everybody likes the guy, Jesus. And here's a place where he mentions it twice. And he says that if you sin, you will go to hell. And a particular way he is applying this is if you sin sexually. And I'm backing up the boat to this dock here where I say, if you look lustfully at a woman, you are sinning. If you look lustfully at a man, you are sinning and you will go to hell. That's what Jesus is saying. Not Steve Wanko. Jesus. Sweet, meek, mild Jesus. What do we do with this? Why is he so stern? He must have had a really bad day. You see, one of the things that Jesus is saying is that if you miss sex, if you misuse sex, it's much, much worse than controlling yourself. (laughs) Let me say that again. If you misuse sex, It is much, much, much worse than controlling yourself. I mean, that's clearly what he's saying. It's better for you to be maimed. It's better for you to cut off some of those relationships. It's better for you to be seen weird by some of your friends because you are taking this part of your life seriously. It is better for you to control yourself than to misuse sex. That's what he's saying here. I mean, as hard as it is to control yourself, it's much harder not to. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? The consequences are greater to not control yourself in this area than controlling yourself in this area. Some of you, all of you, You know what I'm saying. You know this. Some of you are in relationships right now. And you can't talk to your spouse about it. Some of you have relationships in your past. That you want to forget. And you want them to be gone. And they haunt you to this day. And you think, why didn't I control myself? Because I loved them. I don't anymore, (laughs) but I did then. Actually, I didn't love them. I just wanted to have sex. And I chose not to control myself. And now there's regret. Now there's pain. Now there is difficulty connecting to my spouse. Now there's difficulty entrusting myself to somebody now there is difficulty because i didn't practice purity which paves the way to intimacy and i struggle with intimacy i struggle to grow close to somebody i struggle i fear i worry i wonder some of you are living this it's much much worse to misuse sex than to control yourself Some of you are living in this not because of a choice you made, but because a choice of a predator. A choice of an abuser. Somebody who violated you when you were a child. You are living this because somebody couldn't control themselves. One out of four women are sexually molested. And that's just the ones we know. It's probably much higher. And the vast majority of those women are molested by a loved one. And some of you struggle in this area, not because of decisions you made, but because of decisions an evil person made for you. 2,000 years ago, a backwoods, backwards. Bad ethics, I mean, according to us, because we're all modern, we're sophisticated. We know how it's supposed to go down. Some backwoods guy who claimed to be God walked around and said, Hey, this could hurt you. This could destroy you. Like the fires of hell can destroy you. This can destroy you. So better you destroy and maim and hurt yourself and cut some things off than allow this to destroy you. And that's what Christ is saying in this text. See, the weird thing that the world tells us is, you know, I've even heard people say, well, um, before I get married, I, I, you know, you test drive a car. And this is way bigger decision than a car. So you're you're you you are comparing a future spouse to an automobile. Women, how does that make you feel? Man, I, that makes me feel love. I just woo. Really? I mean, our culture is stupid in this area, our culture is idiotic in this area, our culture is perverse. In this area. And by the way, it's going to get more so. The culture this was spoken into and written into, the Romans with good reputations, very good reputations, senators, the leading ruling class of Rome, they all had children on the side. There's a saying in Rome that you have a wife for heirs. You have mistresses for fun. I mean, this is nothing new. We have not created new ways of sinning. We're just, we're just becoming less and less bothered by it. And Jesus says, take it seriously. Now, quick. On points of application. There's a difference between fasting and deprivation. There's a difference between a fast and a diet. Like when you go on a diet, you're usually thinking about all the stuff you can't eat on the diet. Right? So in my case, barbecue, pork ribs, bacon, chocolate cake. Is it about lunch? (laughs) Steak. Right? All that stuff that's bad for us, and doctors say you need to eat less of these things and eat healthier. And when we do that, when we focus on that, we feel deprived. But when we're fasting, when we're giving up something for a reason, for a purpose, then we focus on that reason, on that purpose. We do this with money. I mean, if all we can think about is I don't have enough money to get a better car. I feel deprived. I hate my car. I want a better car. I feel like, and I'm just going to, and we sit around, we feel deprived. But if we're fasting and we're choosing, I'm driving this thing because I'm saving money and someday I'm going to have better. Then we focus on the purpose, on the reason we're fasting. And if you would choose, you singles, you marrieds that struggle in this area, if you would choose to fast for a reason, because Jesus said I should, because King Jesus, who has certain claims on my life, says that this is the way he's designed it. This is the way it's meant to function. And he has my best interest in mind. And if I would fast and abstain, then maybe I'll see change. You see, if you will die to this, if you will die to these desires, they will be reborn in a new way. And I don't know exactly what that will be, but it might be a spouse that God brings along. It may be a power and an energy and a self-control that you never thought existed that the Holy Spirit blesses you with. But until you make that decision to fast and abstain because Jesus wants you to and it's the right thing to do, you're just going to feel deprived. I mean, the only way you will ever Deal with your sexual desires if you give it to God. That's the only way, both married and single people. That's the only way, because some married people thought, you know what, my porn addiction will end after I get married. And it didn't. And the only way you will ever deal with your sexual desires is if you give it to God. I mean, a few weeks ago, Jesus said, pick up your cross, die to yourself, deny yourself. This is an area that none of us do this well. This is an area our culture screams at us. You don't have to do that. That's archaic. That's Victorian. That's backwards. Another point of application. Because some of you are feeling beat up and guilty and and glad I came today. (laughs) Don't feel guilty about your sexual past. I mean, if you have come to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you are seeking after King Jesus, then the Apostle Paul wrote these words and he said, now there is no Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is none. And you should not feel guilty for past sins. If you have accepted Christ, you are following him. You are forgiven. It is washed clean. And it is being redeemed. So even in those broken places where you go, ah, I blew it. God can knit you together and God can redeem and God can bring about transformation in your life. In this way. Refuse to look at your sin except through the cross. When you think of those things, think of the cross. Do not feel guilt. So, to wrap it up, control (laughs) yourself. Do not feel guilty when you fail, take it seriously. Know that God created sex has a purpose for it. He wants you to experience it in its purposed way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak to each of us, that Holy Spirit, we would make space for you to talk to us. Because I know there are many different responses that there could be to these words from jesus i pray lord that we would do serious business with you about our sins especially in the area of sexuality lord i pray that those who need to experience your forgiveness washing over them that they would That they would look at their sin through the cross. They would know they are not condemned. They would know that you love them. They would know that you are redeeming, that you are at work. And I pray that all of us would have our minds transformed, that we would no longer conform to the ways of this world, but that we would live this radical Jesus ethic in our lives. That we would take our sin as seriously as we take hell. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you follow and obey King Jesus. Amen. Amen.